The Sage Aging Podcast is brought to you by Polk Elder Care Guide, your guide to all things senior care and resources. Find the 2021 guide in English and Spanish at polkeldercare.com. Welcome to the Sage Aging Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Craven. Sage Aging will connect you to information and resources that will empower you to master the aging and caregiving journey. Weekly, I'll bring you education, inspiration, amazing industry guests, and caregiver spotlights to shed some light on topics of aging. There'll even be some freebies and giveaways, too. So grab a cup of coffee. Sit back and relax as we chat. Are you ready? Hit subscribe now and let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Sage Aging Podcast. Today we're going to address a really important topic. If you were to take a random sampling of adults in the U.S., nearly one in five would tell you that they are currently providing some level of care to an aging loved one or two. Caregiving has always presented significant challenges, to say the least. Balancing work and kids and other responsibilities can be really weighty, and often it creates a level of stress that's difficult to shoulder. The additional stresses resulting from the current pandemic have added still another layer of challenges for caregivers to cope with. Are you exhausted after just listening to that introduction? I know I am. So in past episodes, we've talked about self-care a number of times, but today I want to take that conversation one step further. What should you do when you're feeling so weighed down by the responsibility of life and life circumstances that you begin to feel like you can't manage it anymore? It's not always an option to just step away. So what steps can you take to make coping with your current life easier? Today's guest is going to help us out with that. I'm happy to welcome Dr. Carmen Sears to Sage Aging today. Dr. Sears, a consulting psychologist at Bradenton Counseling in Sarasota, Florida, is a licensed psychologist with a doctorate in clinical psychology and a master's in clinical social work. Dr. Sears employs multiple modalities to support the health and well-being of her clients, serving each client's needs individually. To learn more about Dr. Sears, be sure to check out the blog post for episode 41 at sageaging.com, or you can check the show notes in your favorite podcast app. You'll find all the information there as well. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sears. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this topic because it's easy to talk about the surface of situations like this. And, you know, when when you hear advice to caregivers, we're always talking about self-care and its importance, and it is so important. But there are times when just plain self-care might not be quite enough. And I want to get into that topic, but first, I would love to hear a little background about you. Okay. Um, I'm originally from New Orleans and I did my bachelor's degree and my master's in social work in New Orleans at University of New Orleans and Tulane University. We have a very fine uh, social work school at Tulane University. 
I wanted to continue because I enjoy assessment. Um, that means intelligence tests, dementia tests, and a whole assortment of different things. So that brought me to Florida, where I obtained my doctorate at Florida Institute of Technology. And my doctorate is in psychology. So the practical applications of psychology, including psychological testing um, and personality testing. So that also led me to work in behavioral settings. So nursing homes, rehab settings for strokes, dementia, MS, broken bones, and all kinds of reasons that could land people in the hospital and cause a change of circumstances and adjustment, which brings us back to today's subject, adjusting to people changing or aging in place and how that works for the caregiver, how that works for the person receiving care. It's so important because the dynamic between those two people, the caregiver and the care recipient, is so very different. So let's set the stage with a quote. I love to kind of set the feeling and the guide for our conversation. And today's quote is by Lisa Oliveira. And she says, just because no one else can heal or do your inner work for you doesn't mean you could, should, or need to do it alone. So I think that is a great way to jump into our conversation about what are your options if you're feeling overwhelmed? You don't have to shoulder it alone. There are a lot of options for assistance and help and guidance out there. And I'm so glad to have you here today. So let's start with a little bit of basic education. You are a clinical psychologist. Can you tell us what that means and what the difference between that and a psychiatrist is? That means that I obtained a doctorate in psychology. Most psychiatrists obtain a medical degree, a medical doctorate, and attend medical school. And at least up until today, most of them were strictly prescribers. Um, Some up north also do therapy. But psychologists up until recent years here did not prescribe any prescription medicines. Um, In the last few years, we have been obtaining prescriptive privileges through nurse practitioner programs and the like. So you may see some of us as therapists providing psychotherapy or talk therapy, um, those different modalities that you mentioned earlier, applying cognitive behavioral things to help you line up your thoughts with your emotions so that you can feel better. Sometimes we're solution focused, again, or family focused. So we look at whole systems. That would be the system in a nursing home, the system in the hospital, the family system. So we bring a lot of things to bear as psychologists in order to help our patients get better mind and body. So the emotions are controlled by your thoughts primarily, which is what I focus on. And um, also focusing on some how your health can affect your uh, psychological or emotional functioning. Did that answer the question? Yes, it does answer my question. And those things are all so linked together. Your physical well-being definitely affects your mental well-being. I know that. You know, how many times have you heard someone say they're hangry or that they're, you know, the aches and pains that they have are making them moody? 
Oh, exactly. I'm guilty of that myself a lot of times. The people that I see, again, because they may be referred by their doctors, um, they may be referred by people in uh, caregiving settings, um, because I have worked in nursing homes before, so other social workers or nurses or physical therapists or occupational therapists, because they're getting down about not being able to do what they used to do, or they are getting down about losing their independence, which is the biggest one. So dealing with that, and then on the caregiver side, you know, dealing with, I have all these pieces to juggle all the time, uh, because most of them have families of their own, plus work, plus trying to see to their loved one if the loved one doesn't live with them. That's very true. It is a heavy, and I hate to use the word burden, because I think from the perspective of a caregiver, and I've been a caregiver multiple times, I never wanted to classify it as a burden. But the load, we'll say, that a caregiver carries is pretty heavy because of the fact that they're in a stage of life where they've got little kids and they're working, or maybe their kids are even bigger, but still need their attention. There's just a lot of responsibility to shoulder when you are a caregiver. So Knowing that we have two different perspectives to come from, when you work with a family unit, what approaches do you use to make sure that both the caregiver's needs and the care recipient's needs are being met as it relates to mental health? Well, I I address them separately and together, first of all, because they each need their own time to get their feelings out and to organize their thoughts about their situation. Sometimes it may be the caregiver feeling overburdened because uh, they're getting pressured to come and visit. Something's wrong, something's wrong. But really the request to come and visit is about I'm lonely and um, I don't feel like I have enough contact or I don't feel like I have enough stimulation Um, The days are the same all the time for me and trying to help them tease out when is a, you know, a crisis and when is an actual come see me. Can you put it on a schedule so that that person knows you're going to be coming by X amount of times a week and you're going to spend X amount of time with them? Is it possible that you also can take that person out of their environment and they can spend some time with you at home? and getting those needs met. With juggling all the pies as a caregiver, we also talk about time management and getting the rest of the family to help out. If that's siblings, it's very important that you spread around the financial needs, the physical needs, the day-to-day needs between all of you so nobody's overstressed about all the task management. And I'm using that word because one of my caregivers was mentioning that this week. There's too many tasks. Um, You know, I've got too much on my plate. How do I take this off? And knowing when you need to look at other agencies or assistance to come into the home to help you with some of those tasks. That's a good point. There are so many resources available to caregivers. A big reason that we even are producing this podcast is because caregivers really don't know where to find that help. And so 
hopefully by creating the awareness and the conversations, we can assist families in finding resources within their own community. And so we believe caregivers need to be checking with their local area agency on aging and checking with their local churches and their chamber of commerce and places like that to find those agencies that are able to assist sometimes free of charge and sometimes on a sliding scale, sometimes private pay. But there are a lot of options out there as it relates to lightening the caregiver's load. And I think that's a really great point. Absolutely. Agencies like 211 also are a great source. If you don't know what's out in your community, you can call 211 to get a broader list. Um, here on the Gulf Coast of Florida, we have the Community Connection Agency that manages some of that as well so that you can, you know, call them up and find out what's available. 211, uh, when I was in school in Florida, uh, at Florida Tech on the East Coast of Florida also provided services like they would check in regularly. I had an elderly friend in her 90s. She would get a check-in call once or twice a week, depending on how she set it up. How are you doing? Are you okay? Do you need any other services? Do you need help with transport? You know, so she relied on that sunshine call every day that they were scheduled to call and they would connect with the family because her family was out of state to say, you know, she didn't answer our call. Um, We're concerned. Do you want us to alert somebody else? So those are the kind of things that can be available. Yes. And they are. And I would say because of COVID and because of Concerns around social isolation, programs like that have become abundant. I know that there is a program through AARP, and I will link it in the show notes because I can't recall off the top of my head what it's called. I want to say it's a a neighborhood connection or something to that effect, but they will call your loved one once a week. And the area agencies on aging, I know ours is called Senior Connection Center here. It might be the same one that serves your area, but they also have wellness calls that they make on a regular basis. And a lot of organizations have adopted that and have also adopted programs where they are putting electronic devices like iPads into homes where social isolation is a problem to allow people to connect with families and friends outside of their home. So lots of great programs out there. I'll see what I can do about putting a list together and including that in our show notes for anyone who's listening. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, another thing that has made COVID easier for a lot of people is the the use of technology. You know, I have 90-year-olds who are able to do Zoom and FaceTime um, and all of those things, or we have a granny cam at home or some kind of Google device at home. Um, again, my same friend, her family's out of state, and they had cameras on in vital rooms so they could see if she was up and about, if she was eating breakfast, and if they couldn't see her, they could talk to her and say, you know, where are you? You know, what's going on? And again, have a link, have some connection with family, somebody that cares. Um, as you're getting older, you don't want to keep calling people. Um, that's another worry for a lot of my the care recipients is, you know, I can't keep bugging them. I want them to live their life. 
but you want that connection. You want to know, you know, what's going on in their lives, what's going on with the grandkids, you know, what new things are they doing? Just to have that, if you can't have the physical touch, especially if you're living in an assisted living or nursing facility while we were shut down, to have that ability to see somebody, talk to somebody and connect with them has been tremendous. Absolutely. I completely agree. So let's turn our attention back to the caregiver who is just feeling overwhelmed and doesn't really know how to cope with it. They've tried taking 30 minutes for a bubble bath. They've tried doing all of the little tips that they hear out and about, but life is becoming a lot to handle right now. What are some specific but simple starting points, things that caregivers can do to start to take control of their emotions and their stress? Well, it goes back to, again, this time management idea of you know, how much and what priority of things you have on your plate, because there's a lot of guilt that I can't do it all. So what is yours and what is something that you can have somebody help you with? So getting that available so that they have some space for themselves, um, because a lot of times they're pouring, 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 pouring out and not having any time to meet with girlfriends or Um, to go get their nails done, you know, so where can you squeeze yourself into the schedule? That is the thing. If you're not sleeping, if you're depressed, because we do screeners for depression and anxiety, you know, what can we do to manage the depression? Um, Do you need some medical um, attention for that prescriptive medications to help you manage the stress of the situation? We talk a lot about meditation about, you know, checking your thoughts and challenging your thoughts, because a lot of times people have false thoughts or faulty thoughts about their situation. How can you see it better so that you can deal with it better? The other thing that comes into effect is their relationship with the person that they're caring for. So they will have issues sometimes with that. And we have to work out how we can improve the relationship enough for them to provide care without losing anything. Those are all really great points. And something you brought up earlier on in the conversation also is your physical well-being. Have you seen your primary care doctor for an annual checkup and had your blood work done and all those good things? And are you moving your body at least for a few minutes every day? And are you feeding your body with the things that will help you to sustain Absolutely. A lot of times when you're doing all that juggling, people don't take the time to take care of themselves. You can't take care of anybody else. I hate to go back to that old cliche about, you know, being on the airplane and putting the oxygen on yourself first and taking care of who's next to you afterwards. But it is so true. They miss sleep. They're up all night worrying about different things or They've been doing a lot of the physical work of caregiving and they're not taking care. They may need medical attention for sore muscles. They may um, need medical attention for pulled muscles because that has happened with a lot of the lifting. If the caregiver is doing that to get the person in and out of bed or in and out of a chair, learning how to lift properly. 
learning how to take time to take your medications. If you have other things that require medication, like hypertension or high blood pressure or diabetes, they, they drop themselves to the bottom of the list. So managing your own physical well-being is highly important. Do you also find that caregivers struggle with uh, manipulation from other family members? And if so, if they're dealing with situations like that, what are some things that they can do for themselves to feel empowered enough to take control of that? A lot of times we um, look at doing the conversations in session so that we can get the outcomes that they're looking for or recognizing whether or not the outcomes are even possible from these individuals. That's why we try to separate out who can do what. Um, sometimes it's bringing that person into the session by phone or in person to talk about you know, what this really means and educating them more from the professional standpoint, because they don't want to hear it from the loved one. They just want it taken care of. Um, so educating that other person, helping with solution-focused ideas to get your point across or to get most of what you need from that person and recognizing when you need to look elsewhere because it's just never going to come. Right. Do you feel like you have certain skill sets that you like to teach caregivers that tend to be universally helpful? Well, definitely the stress management skills. We spend a lot of time on what to do to counteract the stress. Again, meditation, walking, physical exercise, um, time to do some mindfulness. The mindfulness skills help because even if you feel like you don't have enough time to spend on your stuff. Everybody's got 15 to 20 minutes. Even if that mm -hmm. 15 to 20 minutes is in your shower or while you're combing your hair, um, everybody has that time to do some meditation, prayer, or mindfulness. And these are really universal skills that everyone can use. Some kind of spiritual life and spiritual connection is really important to getting over life's speed bumps. So we talk about what kind of spiritual connections you have, um, what other community supports you have to help to build up your resiliency. Um, so we do that. Uh, we also talk about different skills to label your emotions so that you can then improve the emotions or make it better. Never discounting or dismissing or suppressing the emotions. So we talk about all of those things as well as common issues, again, like roles switching um, if the mm -hmm. caregiver is a parent or if the person is a spouse. We talk about the changing of the roles and giving them space to uh, feel their emotions in a safe space and then manage those emotions. All fantastic. That reminds me of an episode we did not too long ago, and I don't remember the number of it, but we'll link it in the show notes as well. We did an episode on emotional detox with Sherry Anna Boyle. And boy, that was a great episode just talking about, like you said, not dismissing those feelings, but allowing yourself to process through them. And that is such a great point and something 
a skill that everybody should have, whether they do that through meditation or prayer or what have you, all of it is good and all of it is positive. Absolutely. And even journaling it as well to write it down and to get it out. Uh, we talk about that. Another one, depending on the situation, is um, simple container exercise, which includes writing it down or you can have a figurative container idea in your head, no matter the size of it. It could be as small as a teacup or as large as one person chose a dumpster um, to put it in. As long as you can put all of those emotions that you cannot deal with right now in the moment because you have to go have a meeting with the doctor or you have to go have a meeting with the school and you can't talk about what's going on with the person you're caring for at this moment and you got to deal with XYZ instead. So you can put it all in the dumpster, experience the feelings for that 15 to 20 minutes, let it out. And then later when you are able to address those feelings, when you are in a safe space to do so, you can take them out as you are ready and say, you know, I was feeling really crappy today because I felt like everybody was getting at me. I felt like everybody wanted something from me and I didn't want to do any of the things that they wanted. I just wanted to be by myself. So you can come back to it and say, well, hey, maybe I need to find another 20 minutes in my day just for me for quiet where nobody is making demands or pressuring me to make a decision and I can just be. Wow. I think that was where we just hit gold. Any caregiver listening, I'm sure those words just resonated with. Thank you for that. That was wonderful. You're welcome. So what are some of your go-to resources that you send clients to? Do you have any favorite books, websites, support groups, or any other types of resources you like to direct people to? Well, since I'm mostly dealing with caregivers who have a family at dementia, um, struggling with memory, problem solving, um, and making good decisions, we go to the Alzheimer's Association a lot, alz.org. Um, that is a wonderful resource to help with, you know, if you need a psychologist, if you need a neurologist, if you need um, caregivers uh, to come into the house, you know, nurse, nursing assistants, or if you need physical therapy, or which is also another issue, if you need somebody to help you do some estate planning. Um, that becomes difficult, especially before the person is too demented to make decisions. Um, so to do some state estate planning, um, some care managers um, are very important, again, because not everybody can do it all. Yes, there is often a fee attached to it, but depending on your situation, it may be very helpful to have a care manager overseeing it, especially if you are an out-of-state caregiver. Um, the estate planning can put it into place of, you know, what my wishes are, you know, for dividing up my assets or what my wishes are for, you know, do I stay at home? How do I stay at home? But those resources are all in ALZ.org. Uh, the resources, like I mentioned, are 211. Um, and you can ask them a question about, Something as specific as, I can't pay my light bill, what do I do now? 
Florida Psychological Association, we have a website. It's called FLA, F-L-A, Psych, P-S-Y-C-H, is another um, online resource that we have that has all of the psychologists within the state and, you know, what they practice in, what they specialize in. And you can look that up if you're looking for some emotional support to help you through this process. Um, APA.org, American Psychological Association.org. If you're more looking for national help or say your sibling is out of the state but needs help with how do I deal with the fact that mom or dad is declining mentally or just physically, they can find a therapist in their area. So those are some of my favorite resources. If it's about what do I do? My, my mom or dad is becoming more demented. The 36-hour day is still a classic. It still works great. Wow, that was a treasure trove. Thank you so much. And don't worry, everyone. It'll all be linked in the show notes because that was a lot to take in, I know. And if you live in the Central Florida area in Polk County, we do have the Polk Elder Care Guide as well. And that is actually who brings Sage Aging to you every week. So that's an online and in-print resource go to polkeldercare.com and you'll find that in English and Spanish. And it is a very comprehensive uh, senior resource guide for the Polk County area, but we will link it in addition to all of those wonderful resources that Dr. Sears just mentioned as well. And you'll find that in the show notes and in the blog post for episode 40 at sageaging.com. So before we close up, where can listeners connect with you? I know that you're all over social media and just killing it. Well, thank you. Um, you can start at the website. It's drdrcarmensears.com. That has most of my socials. I'm also on um, Facebook, uh, carmensears.com, K-A-R-M-O-N dot Sears, S-E-A-R-S. Um, I try to give a lot of healthy living tips and mindset tips on there. And you can catch me on YouTube. I'm not as good with where to get it, but you can catch it in my IG, my Instagram, um, in the link tree. It has a link to the YouTube as well. I try to focus on holistic care for everybody. So that's mind, body, and emotions. So it's all related, you know, nutrition, moving, exercising, and your emotional health. Awesome. All of that will also be linked. Now, one last thing. This is, this is the best piece. What is your one piece of sage advice you'd like to leave our listeners with? I love to remind the caregivers to be kind to themselves. It is a difficult situation being a caregiver. There are no 100% perfect solutions. It's the best solution for you and your family. So give yourself grace. I love that. Fantastic message. Thank you. And thank you for being here. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. You're welcome. And thank all of you for listening. I hope today's conversation has given you another tool or two for your toolbox. So keep up the good work. You are amazing and you're doing a great job. I'm really, really proud of you. 
Be sure to check back next week for a new episode. And by the way, did you know that you can have each weekly episode emailed directly to your inbox? You sure can. Go to sageaging.com, scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, and you can subscribe there. And I hope that you'll also share the Sage Aging podcast with a friend as well. Are you on social media? Well, look for Sage Aging on Instagram, Facebook, and yes, even TikTok. We went there. (laughs) Thanks again for listening, everyone. We'll talk real soon.